My lord. My lord. So much to get to, but I got to start with the President of the United States basically uh, calling for Israel to ban two lawmakers and Israel then doing so. I mean, sometimes you just got to pinch yourself and it feels like kind of like you're being punked on a day-to-day -day basis by Donald Trump, but this is actually what's happening. This is what's happening. Let's look at uh, Donald Trump's treat, tweet to start off the day. And I always criticize the media for only responding to Donald Trump's tweets, but I have to in this case. Uh, so Donald Trump tweeted, it would show great weakness if Israel allowed Congresswoman Omar and Congresswoman Tlaib to visit. They hate Israel and all the Jewish people, and there is nothing that could be said or done to change their minds. Minnesota and Michigan will have a hard time putting them back in office. They are a disgrace. And Donald Trump, the context, was obviously saying this uh, because Congresswoman Omar and Congresswoman Tlaib were about to travel uh, to Israel. I believe, um, I, I think it was Congresswoman Tlaib was going to visit her grandmother, I believe, uh, who was in the Palestinian side. Uh, then, pretty much like 10, 15 minutes later, you hear news that Israel is banning Congresswoman Omar and Congresswoman Tlaib from traveling there. It is absolutely, I mean, it's literally Trump tweeted this and 15 minutes later, they are banned. And obviously, we, we know, you know, there some people are rejoicing on Twitter and all over the place saying they should be banned. They're both supporters of uh, the BDS movement, which is boycott divestment. Um, and then even then there was a much louder chorus of uh, voices saying this is absurd. How can Israel call itself a democracy when you are banning two elected leaders in America from coming because they criticize Israel because they're not saying wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They're saying we need to, them as two uh, women of color, uh, two, uh, two Muslims are saying it, Palest Palestinians are living as second class citizens. It is an apartheid state and we need to hit like in America, there's a lot of times from Black Lives Matter to the indigenous rights movement to the environmental movement boycotting and divesting is a strategy to get what you want, just like in America. But when two elected lawmakers who are not calling for Israel not to exist, they're calling for uh, boy boycott and divestment. It is their free speech as Americans, lawmakers and citizens to say that. And considering Israel says it is a democracy, they should be able to say that. And still as elected lawmakers come over. Well, Donald Trump, because we know what kind of campaign he is running, he is basically trying to start a race and religious war here in America. He already has started that race and religious war, and this is just a continuation of that. Here's the bottom line. And my father, I hope he's not watching, because you know, you, know, uh, you know my father. He thinks Israel could do no wrong. He's not particularly a fan of uh, Ilhan Omar and, and uh, Congresswoman Tlaib. I love my father, but he was raised much differently than me, and we feel very differently about this topic. Um, this is insane. I mean, it's so insane that even APAC, if we could show that, even APAC, who has bought off every politician in America to stand within Israel no matter what, that you cannot say anything, anything in criticism of Israel, even APAC is standing up against this, saying this is not how we should handle 
you know, dissenting lawmakers in America. Uh, let me read this quick. The prominent pro-Israel group, AIPAC, suggested Thursday it opposed the move by Israel and supported by President Trump to bar Democrat Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib from entering the country. AIPAC, which advocates for a staunch alliance between the U.S. and Israel, has frequently sided with Trump administration policies that have supported Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin, Net Benjamin Netanyahu, making its opposition especially notable. Quote, we disagree with Congresswoman Omar and Tlaib's support for the anti-Israel and anti-peace BDS movement, along with Congresswoman Tlaib's calls for a one-state solution. We also believe every member of Congress should be able to visit and experience our Democratic ally, Israel, firsthand. So, I never thought I'd say that, but a AIPAC is defending <laughs> these two congresswomen. Nancy Pelosi, who, I mean, the Democratic Party does not often say anything negative uh, towards Israel or say Israel is wrong about anything. Nancy Pelosi even came out fiercely uh, attacking this. And why this is happening, let's make no mistake about it, everything is interconnected. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, w he won uh, the Israel presidential election a few months ago, but he was not able to establishment, establish uh, a coalition government. That it's, it's a parliament system, so you have to establish a coalition government. He was not able to do that. So there is now a new election, I believe in September. And Netanyahu, for the first time in a long time, is potentially looking like he will lose uh, the presidency in Israel. And he has been president, I believe, for three or four terms in a row. So it wasn't just AIPAC uh, that was speaking out about this. There was, peop there was literally politicians in Israel. Uh, this tweet uh, from Stav Shafir, she is uh, a left-wing member of the Israeli parliament. Uh, Israel, Israel with smart foreign policy would opens, open its doors to congresswomen who have positions we disagree with and make sure their visit shows them the complexity of the conflict. Bibi's Bibi's Israel slams the door shut and gives the BDS a gift, which in return gives Bibi what he wants, fear and isolation. So as far as I'm concerned, whether you're for BDS, whether you're against it, this only, this only uh, emboldens the BDS activists and people around the world to say Israel is not democratic and Israel is turning into what America is under Trump, which is becoming, if you watch Trump, I mean, he's going after journalists. He's going after political opponents. He's trying to change libel laws. He's trying to change many laws to basically, um, not, uh, you know, suppress dissent. This is what authoritarian leaders do. And make no mistake, that's what Benjamin Netanyahu is doing. And Benjamin Netanyahu, by banning these two, he's giving Trump a wink and a nod. I'm with you, Trump. And he's hoping that Trump, in the weeks before the election, will speak on behalf of Netanyahu, because Trump is very, very popular among the religious part of Israel. Not exactly among, you know, young people and things like that. Israel is very much like America. Older people kind of establishment, younger people less so. So I think, I I think uh, this is beyond the pale. Um, I would tell my father, who I love, who probably disagrees with me, that just because these two people, uh, lawmakers, by the way, both elected, um, have opinions you find vile, even if you find them anti-Semitic. You know what? <laughs> Trump's let, there's plenty of people uh, that are, uh, you know, from other countries, brutal dictators, people who kill, uh, you know, political opponents, citizens, that the United States government accepts with wide and open arms, from the Trump administration, to the Obama administration, to the Bushes, to the Clintons. So 
to elected lawmakers because you don't like their views? You're saying you can't, they can't come? And I, I agree with that Israeli politician who said, uh, you know, I don't agree with what she's saying about BDS, but what I'm saying is, why not have them come and have a dialogue? It would make them look bad. I'm talking about Congresswoman Tlaib and Congresswoman Omar, if they were invited to have dialogue with members of the parliament and this and that, and they chose not to. I don't think they would reject that opportunity to speak with them. As far as I can tell, granted I've been busy and I haven't been following it like a hawk, I don't think Congresswoman Tlaib or Omar was going there and say, I'm not going to talk to any Israel, Israeli politicians or I have no interest in, in speaking uh, about our concerns. Wouldn't that be part of the point to go over there? Instead of just talking about your dissent from America to go to the country and give your opinions about you know, what you think is obviously an apartheid state, uh, the inhumane treatment of the people in Gaza and, and beyond. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And honestly, I think we've become so, it's become so normalized, the crazy things Trump does. I mean, just imagine if any other leader did this. It would be the scandal of all scandals. You have another country 20 minutes after a tweet banning lawmakers in America from entering. I mean, this is, this is not like silly season anymore. This is what fascists do. And you got Trump, who I believe now is a fascist. I, I, I stayed away from that for many, many uh, years. But after, you know, telling these women, you know, go back home and uh, the many other things he's, he's been doing over the last few weeks, I, I don't think there's anything else to say. Um, so it's a shame. I actually think it's going to hurt Netanyahu. He thinks it's going to help him. I think it's going to hurt him. Uh, I'm not an expert on Israeli politics, but I will say I don't know how banning your, your biggest ally in America, two elected lawmakers. We're not talking about like two celebrities. We're not talking about two, you know, uh, think tank people or intellectuals. You're talking about American congresswomen, particularly women of color. You think Trump would have done that to two men who had the same views? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Maybe men of, co- maybe, maybe, uh, men of color, probably. It's possible. It's possible. So, I don't know what else to say about that. You have any thoughts? Oh, thank you, Doug. I appreciate you, man. I, I I agree, but I'm not I'm not surprised at all. Like, I'm not surprised at all by what he's doing and what he's saying. It's just it is who he is, and I'm 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 thankful that Apex did that because I don't like them at all. But I appreciate them like because I don't like their influence. You know what I'm saying? But I appreciate them being fair and being honest and everybody at least being honest. Like, I don't agree, but this isn't right, period. You know what I'm saying? So I, I appreciate that. But we're dealing with Trump, man. It's like you say, I'm hella immature. I'm hella petty. You are, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not arguing with you. But I'm saying that Trump is hella petty. The, the last thing I'll say about this is if Trump's, uh, you know, Trump, yes, is playing to his base and all this, but if he wants to suppress the Democratic vote, I don't know why he thinks targeting, you know, too popular among the progressive base, popular among young people, popular among Muslim Americans, popular among women. I don't know why he thinks continually attacking these two women is going, it might bring every last one of his base out, but it might also bring out a hell of a lot more. African-Americans, Muslims, and uh, people that 
might have not been so inspired last time to come out, which is why he's president, because less people came out. I mean, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but I mean, across the Electoral College. So if he wants to keep poking the bear of two of the first, I I believe they're both the two first female uh, Muslims elected to Congress. Keith Ellison was the first male. Keep doing it. But I think politically, it's a loser for you. And more importantly, I mean, at least, I mean, Bernie Sanders has pointed out, I don't, I believe Israel has a right to exist, but I think Benjamin Netanyahu is a racist. This is racist. You cannot, you know, even if Benjamin Netanyahu violently, vehemently disagrees uh, with these two lawmakers, he thinks, you know, they're, they're disgusting, they're vile, they're anti-Semitic, they're anti-this, they're anti-that. You're, you're the president or the prime minister of a supposed democracy. You can't ban people for their views. Not just people, but lawmakers. So let's, let's throw out the pretense that Benjamin Netanyahu is a, de- a democratic official. Can I say one thing right quick? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very, uh, how do white people say it? Rich. That Netanyahu banned them when Obama was like, tell him at one point, don't come. And he came to Congress and talked to Congress anyway. You know what I mean? Just did what he wanted to do, like disregarded anything that Obama said. Obama didn't be like, oh, you got to get out of here because you went behind me and talked to Congress about, I think it was about getting some money or something like that. You know what I mean? That's all. So, uh, where are we going? That's all I got to say about that. We'll see what develops. I mean, I don't think they're going to get unbanned. Uh, so, we'll see. So, you know, the polls have been all over the place. Um, you have some polls that show Warren uh, in second place. You have a lot of polls showing Bernie in second place. You have a poll that came out yesterday that shows Bernie has taken the lead in New Hampshire over Biden and Warren. So I'm not putting like a crazy amount of stock in the polls just yet, because frankly, I think when you've seen enough polls and you read their methodology, you know which polling uh, companies are going to be uh, better for Warren. You know which polls are going to be better for Bernie. You know which polls are going to be really, really bad for Bernie. Because the more you look into who they're polling, you see, oh, this one's polling a lot of people over the age of 50. Oh, this one's polling a more even distribution. Oh, this one's polling way more people that make over $50,000 a year. Of course, the corporate media never reports that context. They just make it seem like, oh, it's all fair and Bernie's getting creamed. But I'm I'm, I'm looking less at the polls and I'm looking more at the crowds. I saw a piece today uh, that said, uh, take it from Hillary Clinton, who told you uh, all her defenders said crowd size doesn't matter. Well, is she president? Because I I actually think crowd size does matter. Donald Trump had huge crowds and he's now president. Hillary Clinton didn't. And she had way less people come out in terms of African-Americans, Latinos and young people. And that's why she's not president. So let's remind you, uh, this is what the media calls a gaffe. Uh, after we play this, I'm going to remind you why these are not actually gaffes. Here we go. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. And the other thing we should do is we should challenge these students. We should challenge students in these schools to have advanced placement programs in these schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Wealthy kids, black kids, 
Asian kid. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330. You should be able to, if you cross the border, but they don't, that they have to wait in line. And it's not one that, in fact, thank, thank you, Mr. So uh, Joe Biden is not having, is not having gaffes. Gaffes are what, you know, people foot in their mouth disease, right? You say things that you would only should say in private, but you say it in public, right? Joe Biden is clearly, clearly having issues processing thoughts. He's having issues, you know, completing sentences. He's having issues remembering things. It is clearly, and reporters who pretend otherwise are frankly irresponsible. It is clearly some form of cognitive decline. I also think it's irresponsible to play internet doctor. So that's why we are not diagnosing uh, Joe Biden. I'm not a doctor and I wish, I don't like Joe Biden. I don't like his policies. I think he'd be a bad president, but I don't wish him poor health. And I don't think you guys should either. Let's not be crazy. However, it's very evident if you watch with two eyes and common sense, he's struggling. He's, He's not how he's not uh, as sharp as he used to be, which happens. It happens when you get older. Uh, If you look at Bernie Sanders, for example, it hasn't quite happened to him yet. I'm not saying that as a Bernie supporter, I'm just saying he's frankly more lucid if you watch him. But the reason that the corporate media keeps pretending that these are gaffes, the reason that the corporate media keeps pretending these are gaffes is because they don't want to lose access. Because how presidential campaigns are is the more the more uh, gaff, the, the, the more you uh, actually challenge the candidates, especially the top candidates, it's like carrot in a stick. That campaign will start uh, blocking you from interviews. They'll, start, they'll stop talking to you. They'll make it harder for you to get into rallies and things like that. And, you know, access is, most of these corporate journalists, oxygen. So now you have, we've seen all these stumbles. We've seen all of these stumbles from after two mass shootings, saying the wrong cities. He said Houston and Detroit were where these, uh, Houston and Michigan were where these mass shootings were. You see him forgetting uh, that he said, oh, uh, you know, I remember talking to those Parkland students when I was vice president. Parkland happened two years later. Parkland students did not go to the White House when Joe Biden was president. He obviously made that comment about, you know, poor kids, uh, you know, equating poor kids and white kids. Uh, equating poor kids with black, black kids, saying all poor kids are black. Bottom line, I think his campaign knows, and that's why you've seen him off the campaign trail so much. If they put Joe Biden in a grueling, in the normal, rigid, uh, rigid schedule that Bernie Sanders has been on for months, that Elizabeth Warren has been on for months, that Kamala Harris has been on for months, that, you know, Pete, Mayor Pete has been on for months. If you put him from city to city, six, seven days a week, nonstop, it's going to be, it's a time bomb waiting to explode because he's either too old and and can't go at that pace, which is fine. We're not mocking being older. When you're older, you get tired. I mean, that's just a part of life. Uh, Or there is something cognitively going on where he's declining and They know the more they put him on stage, the more they put him in front of people, the more problems there's going to be. So let's read this article because apparently now the idea, oh my God, this is like Hillary Clinton deja vu. Now the idea 
is basically to hide Joe Biden as much as humanly possible from the voters. This is from The Hill. Uh, Biden allies, meaning the Democratic Party establishment, float scaling back events to limit, quote, gaffes. We've already established these are not gaffes. These are the makings of somebody who's in cognitive decline. The Hill is reporting, and by the way, how this works, so you know the behind the scenes. Basically, when Democratic Party insiders, when corporate Democratic Party people, when consultants, when donors want to get a message to the candidate, they do it through the Hill, they do it through Politico, they do it through CNN. This is called floating a trial balloon. They don't want to say it directly to his face. They don't want to say it directly to his campaign advisors. So they're doing it through, through um, the media. Um, Allies to Joe Biden have been floating the idea of altering the former vice president's schedule in an effort to reduce the gaffes he has made in recent days. So you keep hearing gaffes when it's so clear these are not gaffes. These are somebody who's struggling to remember things. It's somebody who's struggling just to finish sentences. He's cutting himself off during debates when no one is telling him your time is up. He did it in the first debate and he did it in the second debate. This would be like me right now being like, thanks for watching. You know, well, I've been gone for an hour, but like, thanks for watching. Bye. <laughs> like, you do a little bit of a farewell tour, you know? So, uh, you have to go up for an hour. I don't understand that. Yeah, the allies growing increasingly nervous about Biden's verbal flubs have said it's an approach that's been suggested to campaign officials on the heels of the former vice president's stumbles. Biden has a tendency to make the blunders late in the day. Oh my God. Late in the day. His allies say, particularly after a long swing on the road, like he had last week in Iowa. Hold up, I, I can't read anymore. So, I'm not trying to mock Joe Biden, but when they're saying, "Oh, he should, you know, come off the campaign trail," and "Oh, we noticed that this happens later in the day," yeah, what ha- gaffes happen later in the day? No, what happens later in the day when you're older and are, are cognitively not as sharp? is you stutter your words, you lose your train of thought, you're ready to go to bed. I'm not mocking him. This is just, this is, this is reality. This is what happens when you get older. This is why, and in fairness, put aside the fact that it's Joe Biden and, and I don't like him, I kind of feel for the guy. He's, he's older. He's 76. It's a grueling thing to crisscross the country. I mean, most of the time when he's crisscrossing the country, it's not for rallies. It's to go kiss the ring of Wall Street bankers and oil executives and pharmaceutical executives and Comcast lobbyists to get $2,800 checks. But that's still, you know, crisscross flights. I was going to say, just to kind of like staple that, like you even got mad at me for like making a mock kind of mocking him a little bit he was like no like we're not trying to do that we're trying to show like this is a serious decline and it's irresponsible he got even a little mad at me that how i did the edit was almost kind of seemed like it was mocking so i just want to say that to, to let them know that you really aren't like you're really being sincere when you well, say that for two I'm, I'm saying this for two reasons number one because like genuinely speaking why would you put this guy why why is he putting himself through this but number two for all, because I know what's going to happen. I remember, I, I remember November 6th or 8th, Ninth. Two, 2016. Oh, no, no, November 8th. Yeah, the, prote- the presidential election. I remember seeing all these cosmopolitan, cocktail crowd, arrogant, out of touch, elitist journalists sitting on the sta- set of CNN. And, and frankly, 
frankly, the Young Turks, if we're keeping it real, well, being like, didn't Jake, Jake did say, being like, how did this happen? How did this happen? And, and just, Jake total, predicted it though. No, he didn't. He did on MSNBC. He said he said that Trump will win by the amount he won. I swear to God, I watched it like six times. He did on MSNBC. He, he was tripping the night that it happened, but he said, I predict Trump win by this amount. And I remember the amount he said was the exact electoral votes that Trump won by. But the point is, why we're saying this is, this: if the Democratic Party is sincere, and I don't think they are, I do not think they are, about getting rid of Donald Trump, you're literally talking about dragging, dragging this man, not to the finish line, just to the general election. They are talking about dragging, frankly, an older politician who is not cognitively sharp. And that's being kind. I'm just saying not cognitively sharp. If you look at it, it looks worse than that. You're talking about taking him off the campaign trail. If you notice, and I said this to Jen the other day, I have never seen a candidate's wife this early travel as much as Jill Biden is for Joe Biden. Jill Biden is traveling all to city after city after city. And a lot of the times she's doing it are on days that Joe Biden is not. To me, this comes off like they are papering over Joe Biden and basically trying for dear life to stretch this thing out for as long as possible until it's really noticeable that something is wrong. And why that is so dangerous? Remember how Donald Trump first took off in the Republican primary when no one said he had a chance by ravaging and, and beating to death low energy Jeb Bush. Remember that? He, I mean, Jeb Bush is a tool and a warmonger and all that, but he embarrassed and, and de, 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 um, ashamed and defamed Jeb Bush, low energy Bush. I mean, my God, Donald Trump, I could see on the debate stage saying, you know, uh, um, senile Joe, you know, uh, six feet under Joe. I could see all these things. Just something hella disrespectful. Right. Um, but why this is so dangerous, when you have the Democratic Party establishment, and let's go back to the article, Biden has a tendency to make blunders late in the day, his allies say, you know, when older people need to go to sleep, uh, particularly after a long swing on the road, like he had last week in Iowa. They say something needs to be done to give the candidate more downtime as the campaign intensifies in the fall. Quote, he needs to be a strong force on the campaign trail, but he also has to pace himself, said one ally who has talked to members of the campaign team and had others in the broader Biden world about how to move forward. The ally said it was unclear whether the campaign would make any changes to Biden's schedule, particularly because Biden was criticized recently for not doing as many events as his Democratic rivals. Quote, I think you'll see the same schedule and maybe even more Joe Biden. Oh, boy. Everyone wants to see Joe Biden be Joe Biden. If he's held back in any way, that's almost the antithesis of who he is. I think it's the wrong approach. Um, you got more quotes. A lot of people are nervous that he's lost some of his mojo. They're getting nervous about him going toe to toe with Trump. Basically, this is all very PG rated versions of saying this guy is not well. That's what this all is. And when I say not well, I'm not saying 
there's anything severe. I'm not saying there's anything life for, uh, you know, a death sentence. But frankly, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm only saying Bernie Sanders because he's the only one to compare Biden to. He's 77 and Biden's 76. I mean, every, you know, mother, uh, mother Nature catches up for everyone differently. Bernie Sanders is all over the freaking country. Bernie Sanders, his campaign is tweeting him out, uh, shooting hoops at arcades, throwing baseballs uh, with his campaign manager. He's going, I, I mean, he's been to, uh, I, I know he's crisscrossed to California several times. He's been to Iowa many times, New Hampshire, South Carolina. He's also gone to states like, and, and by the way, this isn't only during the campaign. If you've been following, since he lost in 2016, he's been traveling. So obviously, putting aside like whether you like Bernie, whether you like Biden, whatever, Obviously, in terms of stamina, I mean, Bernie Sanders has it at the moment. Biden does not. And the thing that troubles me, forget Trump for a second. I agree. It's very important to take out Trump. If he's this tired, if he's this like losing the mojo at 76, uh, what are we in August? So 15 months before the general election, how's he going to be in 18 months on inauguration day? How's he going to be as president of the United States? We know that Ronald Reagan became president and other than destroying the unions, uh, offshoring the jobs, you know, the welfare queens, the deregulation, the tax cuts for the wealthy. I mean, he was pretty much sleeping the last four or five years. He had early onset dementia. Did you want to say something? I was going to say, if this was Bernie, MSNBC, everybody would be on him. He looks frail. He looks like he's not there. He looks like he's two steps behind. He looks like he's drained. That's that would that would like occupy every news like segment period. But for some reason, no one talks about he had somebody on uh, CNN the other day saying, Oh, they're saying like, it's not bothering him. Joe Biden is, is 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 doing what? What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? But it's just, it's just crazy. I think it's, it's so weird that People are allowing this to go on. That's how selfish they are. They are. The Democratic Party will always be that way because it's never been about the people. It's only about what they can get out of their time in office. So here's the I, I, I don't know what to say other than like, I don't think we have the graphic iceberg right ahead because, you know, CNN don't think that there's not corporate media is they're very uh, frustrating, but they're not stupid. They're not stupid. So if you haven't noticed, CNN and MSNBC have been propping up Elizabeth Warren. You know, hell, she's as high as the two figures on top of a wedding cake, the way they're, with the way they're going with Elizabeth Warren. From CNN, like, blocking Bernie Sanders supporters from even entering the cheering area at the Detroit debate. Their cameras were showing all these nice Warren signs, and then they parked Bernie Sanders supporters literally behind a mega logo so you couldn't see them. You have... MSNBC has literally shown polls saying Elizabeth Warren is has taken the lead over Bernie Sanders when the poll on screen when they say that has them tied. I mean, it's, it's example after example because it's all about a narrative. And I, at my heart, I do think what they're trying to do is to as, as, as quickly as they can make Bernie Sanders, you know, knock him down in the polls, make it seem like he has no shot, just like they did in 2016, combining superdelegates with pledge delegates and all these things. But at the end of the day, they are trying to prop up other candidates because I think they think it's, it's, it's not clear if Biden's going to make it to the finish line. And to tell you the truth, 
as somebody, again, I'm not diagnosing anyone, but I do know people uh, with cognitive issues. Joe Biden, when you see him get frustrated, when you, say, uh, when you see him say, oh, my time is up, you know, on the debate stage, when you see these things, and, and there's the Titanic uh, that Colin made for us, that is a sign of somebody frustrated. Because when people who used to be very sharp, when people have, you know, used to have great zingers, when people used to be able to, you know, have some, you know, some real uh, zest, pep in their step, when they're just not capable anymore, they forget things, they, they, they lose their train of thought, it's frustrating. This is a sign of aging. And to me, I think this is really, really dangerous because at the same time, at the same time, as Trump is becoming more and more dangerous every day, the quote unquote front runner for the Democratic Party is literally now, it's being signaled that we need to drag him for dear life just to get him to the finish line. Not only would that reelect Donald Trump, it would be probably, not that I care about the strength of the Democratic Party, but it might cripple the Democratic Party. If you nominate this guy who they are now saying, oh, you know, we notice he gets a little more tired during night events. What are you supposed to have events at nine in the morning when, and bring all the Starbucks espresso shut? You can for this guy. It's crazy. Ty did a little bit about this yesterday, but I wanted to chime in. Uh, so obviously we cover Flint a lot. We cover Flint a lot. Uh, just because, you know, I'm coming to you from uh, our studio here. We're still working on some Flint stories, so don't you worry. Uh, and we haven't forgotten about Flint. But a lot of you have said, what about Newark? And I've been getting that for months because I've known there's a problem with Newark. Uh, Newark is probably, I don't know, hour and a half drive from here, maybe less. Um, so I was waiting for Ty to get here so we could go to Newark because it's something that we, you know, unlike Flint where we go, you know, back and forth, Newark is somewhere we could cover more regularly because it's close enough. So Newark has had a lead problem for years, for years. And it's not like Flint where, you know, they switched to the, the, the river and they forgot to put, uh, you know, the proper chemicals in and all this. This is uh, like in many um, cities across America. Uh, majority minority community. It's very, very poor. Uh, there's frankly been crime problems in Newark over the years, uh, but it is a uh, minority, very poor community with very, very old infrastructure and very, very little investment from the city, from the state, from the feds. So now all of a sudden, the people of Newark have been screaming about this for years. Now, finally, they are starting to get some attention. Uh, so let me, let me read this from you. A growing crisis over lead contamination in drinking water gripped Newark on Wednesday as tens of thousands of residents were told to drink only bottled water, the culmination of years of neglect that has pushed New Jersey's largest city to the forefront of an environmental problem afflicting urban areas across the nation. Urgent new warnings from federal environmental officials about contamination in drinking water from aging lead pipes spread anxiety and fear across much of Newark. But the municipal government's makeshift efforts to set up distribution centers to hand out bottled water were hampered by confusion and frustration. State and local officials said they were making free water available to 15,000 of the city's 95,000 households, and hundreds of people waited in long lines in the summer heat to pick up cases of water. But officials had to halt the distribution temporarily after discovering that some of the water exceeded its best by date, because obviously water can go bad quickly, particularly in the hot. The intensifying worry about the safety of Newark's drinking water has raised comparisons to Flint, where dangerous Le lead levels of lead led to criminal indictments, blah, 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 blah. 
Lead crisis in Newark, a city of 285,000 people, has been brewing for years, but escalated sharply over the weekend after federal issues, federal officials issued a scathing letter warning about the safety of the drinking water and urging city officials to make more aggressive steps. Elevated lead levels have been recorded in an expanding zone of the city and now includes all of the west and south wards and parts of the central and the north wards. I don't really need to read the rest because honestly, it, it, it's whether it be different cities, it's usually the same exact story. This country, particularly in poor, black, indigenous, brown communities, is basically playing Russian roulette with those citizens. Basically, underneath some of these, some, some of the blocks in these areas have homes built in the early 20th century. Uh, most, of, most of these uh, areas have very, very old, outdated community centers, if they still have the community centers. A lot of them have been bulldozed. If you're in Detroit, in Flint, and other areas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The infrastructure is very, very, very old. Uh, you know, occasionally there's grants for certain, you know, nice parts, uh, to, you know, nice new buildings or nice new programs. And then they say, oh, Newark's coming back. It's the same thing they do in Detroit, where they've beautified like a 10 to 15 block radius and they're, they're leaving the rest of the city to rot. So this has been a problem in New York, Newark for years. And by the way, in New Jersey, if, if you know anything about New Jersey's overall, New Jersey uh, outsourced their water system to a privatized water company many years ago. And the New York Times actually wrote it. I think it was uh, by Bayonne, Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, the city basically outsourced it to a private water company. And guess what? The water rates went through the roof, but not the water quality, because that's what happens when you privatize things mm. like the water supply. Why this is super important, this, could ha this literally is happening all over the country. Yes, it's definitely disproportionately happening in poor black communities, but the white folks are starting to experience it too. There's a lot of poor people in Flint. We've met a lot of them uh, from North Carolina that had water contamination. We've been to, um, well, East Chicago is more black and brown, but indigenous, indigenous communities. When you have governments, Democrat and Republican, that basically go back and forth, letting Wall Street write trade deals, bashing union protections, uh, really destroying environmental protections. Yes, the focus should be on climate change. That's very important. But don't, shouldn't we, across the lines, whether you're Democrat, shouldn't some things be bipartisan, like water? I believe Steve King and his racist self needs clean water just the same as Mother Teresa. Whether you're vile or whether you're on the good side, everybody needs clean water. But why this is so apocalyptic is it goes hand in hand with gentrification. They're gentrifying certain parts. You know, in Flint, the downtown region they've, uh, where they've gentrified, they've put in custom filters, full filtration systems in a lot of these restaurants, bars. The nice block down Saginaw Street, you could go, you could go to a restaurant or bar there, you'll be, I mean, it's not totally foolproof, but you should be good. The rest of Flint, you're out of luck. Not the white horse. Yeah, totally. Same goes for Detroit. Same goes for Detroit. Some, some areas that have been beautified by uh, Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who bought up 10 to 15 blocks and built high-rise high um, high uh, apartments and uh, Whole Foods went in and all those things. The rest of Detroit has been left to rot. And Newark, by the way, you're starting to see the same things in Newark that you saw in Flint, 
and East Chicago, they're throwing filters at the problem. We're giving you, we're giving you bottled water, and now we're going to give you filters for the next 10 to 20 years while we slow walk to fix the issue. Filters are not clean water. Filters go bad. If you use hot water in filters, they're done. You can't use filters with hot water. Filters breed bacteria. So although filters might stop lead, it also breeds bacteria. A lot of people don't know how to apply the filters correctly. And more importantly, Michael Moore said this when the Flint water crisis um, broke. You shouldn't have to use filters in America. You're paying enough for your water bill. You should know that you're getting clean water. And ironically, not coincidentally, a lot of these areas like Flint, Detroit, Newark have some of the highest water bills in America. Go figure. Mm. Poor black people being poisoned and having to pay for it at crazy rates. Ty and I are going to go to Newark for sure. Uh, if my back is back uh, next week, we'll probably start lining up some interviews. This is something we need to get on and stay on because chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, there's, as I always tell you, there's a reason, there is a reason that all these hedge fund people my brother is a hedge fund guy. I love him, but he is a hedge fund guy. There's a reason these hedge fund people have been investing in water heavily for the last five years, because there is going to be a time when there's a shortage. And then you're going to see Nestle, Dasani, Aquafina, and all these companies. We're not even getting into plastic water bottles and microplastics, because that's a whole different topic. They are going to be price gouging like you could not believe and America could look like a third world country, the price gouging that goes on on some islands that you might know if you've been. So this is very uh, important. Uh, as I said, in the case of Flint, it really doesn't matter if it's Newark, Flint, you might say, oh, it's not happening near me. Well, how do you know what you're drinking is clean? Have you tested it? You might've tested it with something you get at like CVS or something, but that's not a custom water test. It doesn't go to a lab. You have, no, you have no idea what's in, I'm not trying to scare you, but that's the truth. You, don't ha, you have no idea what's in your water. Also, do you know if your home or apartment complex or where you live is near any industrial sites? Do you know if your home or apartment complex is near uh, old factories that were bulldozed? Do you know what the, uh, how old the pipes are under the ground? Do you know what the sewage system is like? These are all questions that affect your water source. Might sound boring, but it's important. So now that, uh, now that I'm a little freed up after getting this business plan done, going to start lining up some interviews, uh, get, get on the ground there, talk to people. Obviously, I know what the government's going to say. They're going to pretend that, oh, it's not as bad, and this is what the government does. Because the city of Newark certainly doesn't want to acknowledge how bad the problem is. It's going to cost a lot of money to fix it. But I guarantee you, you know, when the farmers, when the farmers were affected, when the farmers were affected by Trump's stupid trade war, he was throwing bailout money at the farmers and this and that. But for Newark and Flint and Detroit, they're going to have to beg for money to, re to, to redo these pipes. And by the way, these, these are the pipes and this is the drinking water in your children's schools, in those classrooms. So it's not just, just a community problem. It's a generational problem because you have kids, black kids, who are drinking lead. And God knows what else is in that water because it's usually not just a lead problem. There's usually bacteria. Sometimes there's arsenic. Sometimes there's PFAS. Sometimes there's TTHMs. Ugh.
It's a mess. It's a mess.